Welcome to The Kingdom is for Everyone. This is your host, Matthew Hester, and this is the place to discuss all things righteousness, peace, and joy. I want to take just a moment here at the top of this episode to thank our Hester Ministries monthly supporters. You help make this podcast a reality. If you would like to be a partner with Hester Ministries, go to our website, hesterministries.org partner to find out more information. We cannot tell you how much we appreciate your help in bringing the good news of the gospel all around the world. We're also pleased to let you know that you can enjoy the show wherever you love to listen to podcasts. And with that in mind, please like and share this podcast so that others can be blessed. Also, do us a favor and go to the homepage for this podcast, anchor.fm slash the kingdom for. That's the number four, the kingdom for everyone. And there you can find out information on how to be a podcast supporter. Also, there is an option there where you can click on the message tab, leave us a voice message or a question that we would love to feature in an upcoming episode of our podcast. Here at The Kingdom is for Everyone, we want you to be more than an audience. We want you to be a participant. So jumping right into this, in our episode last week, episode 23, we talked about uh, no condemnation. There is no condemnation. And we looked at uh, really our primary text for that episode. We we played around there in John chapter 8, and that is an encounter that is so beautiful, so weighty. And that is the woman that's brought before Jesus. The claim is that you know she's been caught in adultery, and uh, so many different nuances to it. I can't go through and re-share uh, what we shared last episode. You need to listen to the last one, because this is kind of a follow-up to that. What well, is a follow-up to it? Uh, we're going to go just a, a little bit deeper into that encounter. But the whole, the whole system was set up against her, because we know when we go and we look at Levitical law uh, that... Um, there, there was no desire for there actually to be justice, uh, because if you look at the requirements of the law, when that, when adultery had been committed, the law first of all demanded that both perpetrators, so man and woman, had to be brought to the public arena. Uh, so that, where was the man in this instance? Just the woman. And then uh, Jesus also knew of the hypocrisy of the, acu- of the accusers who brought the woman to be stoned because of the many times they themselves had broken the law. And, and actually, you go and, again, you read those verses in John 8. It says that they brought her because they wanted to see if they could somehow trip up Jesus, trick Jesus. So there was just no... Uh, no good intent of those that were bringing this woman. And so by the time Jesus has finished business, uh, the iconic, beautiful verses, John 8, 10, and 11, Jesus stood up, said to her, where are your accusers? Um, Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Uh, Just an interesting thought on that before we just jump full steam into this episode. Um, that uh, go and sin no more is actually quite interesting. That phrase is not in the original Greek manuscript. Um, it actually ends with, Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go. Um, and, and actually, the King James scholars later on added and sin no more because, I mean, he, come on, guys, Jesus can't just say go. I mean, he has to, you know, call out her sin and deal with her sin, right? Um, and I just want to submit that to you. That actually is not there in the original manuscripts. That is a new addition. The admonition to go and sin no more, um, as much as it makes sense to us, 
we don't actually have that record in the original manuscript. So that's something to chew on. But what I want to get into for this episode, episode 24, when God writes, writes, W-R-I-T-E-S, when he writes. Uh, And so that's what we're going to jump into. But before we do that, I want to take just a quick break for 30 seconds. We'll be right back on the other side of the sponsored content. Okay, so we are back and episode 24, When God Writes. This is a follow-up to No Condemnation, our episode uh, episode 23 from last week. And so in this encounter, John 8, we've already talked about it. We've set it up. You know, Jesus is there. Um, the Pharisees bring this woman, throw her before Jesus. They do this to test him. They want to see, can they bring a charge against him? Jesus bends down, begins to write with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let, let whoever is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. So there's impure motive, impure intention, a lot of hypocrisy going on. They're not they're not even honoring the law that they want to use against her, which speaks volumes. But the question I want to ask, and I think it's a question many of us have asked before, is what was Jesus writing on the ground? What was because because we don't actually know specifically. We're not told specifically what Jesus is writing. We're just told that he bends down to write. And then slowly and dramatically the crowd begins to thin and leave. Uh, until no one remains. Can you see that? You know, there's there's some pretty great depictions on that in film and television where the, the, the onlookers begin to drop their stones and they're convicted by what Jesus, by what God is writing on the ground. And so let's talk about that. What was Jesus writing? So again, we, we don't know exactly what Jesus was writing on the ground. Many biblical scholars believe he was writing the law. And I, I get that. That actually, that sounds pretty logical. Could it be that the onlookers began to see laws written that they were guilty of breaking? So that would certainly provide some contrast and conviction. It also could, that with that thought, it could give us greater understanding when we consider the ground Jesus was riding on. So when it says he wrote on the ground, there's actually some needed perspective there because this encounter um, was in the in the temple precinct. So, uh, you know, you go into the temple precinct, and, and this is not dirt, okay? Um, so there's actually a greater case that Jesus was riding on hard stone, like, like uh, paved stone like paved material, not paved like in modern day, but um, stone pavers, if you will, in the temple precinct. And uh, so he, I don't believe that he was actually riding on dirt. I don't. Uh, I believe he was riding on stone. And so then the follow-up question, well, what's significant about that? Well, because if you think about it, it would be of much greater symbolism to those looking to see the Son of God once again riding on stone. So God, right, he, he was written on stone before. And, and, and actually, you know, he didn't only write once, he wrote twice. So uh, the first time, right, uh, Jesus writes, it says he stands up, gives a reply, gives a response, and bends down and continues to write. Uh his father did the same thing, if you think about it. Exodus 19, he wrote, 
That's this is the story we get. He wrote the Ten Commandments, right? Moses come down, breaks those tablets, goes back up. God writes another set. So you see there, God has the habit of writing the same thing twice. <laughs> he really does. Um, not necessarily out of preference. It's just kind of how things have worked. And um, so again, this is significant because God also wrote the law, the law on stone twice. The first tablets were destroyed and Moses came down from the mountain, saw Israel worshiping idols. Another set was written by God and they placed them in the Ark of the Covenant. The Pharisees came and attempted to school Jesus with the law that he had written. So, I think that is an amazing thought, and and certainly that could be what he was writing, certainly. Also, could it be that perhaps he was writing the, 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 the Law of the Better Covenant? I, again, I don't know, um, where he starts talk, just writing the standard of love, right? Love others as you have been loved by God. Uh, I, I don't know, but... Um, this, it does make sense. Not that he's using the law to accuse the crowd, but since the crowd is using the law to accuse, he shows them the power of the law. Listen, the law is not on anyone's side but its own, right? It is always going to accuse. Listen, our, our accuser is Moses. Most of us, we're looking for a dark, demonic you know, devil to, to chastise us and make life hard. But I promise you, the greatest hardship that any of us have endured in this life is typically connected to the law, the demands of the law. It'll drive you absolutely insane. It will demean you, discredit you, belittle you without mercy. It really will. Because it's its only job, and it's great at it, is to expose sin, not to redeem us from sin, but to simply expose it, magnify it. And in doing so, it doesn't give us a way out. Uh, only Jesus gives us the way out. Only Jesus can speak to the things that the law tries to convince us is true. He speaks a prophetic or an opposite word that is actual reality, his reality. Uh, so I, I digress. Uh, so let's continue here at John chapter 8, verses 9 and 11. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. So those that had been around the law longer, huh? Maybe. Oh, man, they see that, and they're like, yeah, I've, I've broken that one myself. Uh, and the point that's being made, again, which jives along with this thought process, you know, you break one law, you break them all. See, that's, that's, that's what else is hardcore about the law that many of us forget or we ignore, is you break one, you've broken it all, because the law has to be maintained in this integrity, this singularity of integrity here. The smallest part of it's broken. You might as well toss it all out. You are guilty. The verdict is in. So, yeah, it makes sense the older ones start walking away first because they've had a lot more time and opportunity to break the law, right? And so at, at a certain point, Jesus is left alone with a woman standing before him. So, again, that's where Jesus stands up. Hey, where are those that have come to condemn you? Uh, she looks around. Well, my Lord, there are none, and well, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Go. And this account is amazing. We, we've just witnessed the heart of God unveiled. The very God who wrote the law has no desire to condemn us with it. Listen, Jesus did not come to the world to judge it, but to save it. You know, it says it's said in another place that the right to judge has been given to Jesus by his Father. And then when it's kind of basically asked plainly, uh, have you come to judge? Jesus is like, well, I have not come to judge the world. I've come to save the world. 
Do you see that connection? That's a huge connection. Beautiful connection. Uh, the right to judge has been given to me. Uh, and by the way, I don't come to judge. I come to save. So in this, this whole story here, think about it. Jesus had every right to throw the first stone at the woman who committed adultery. Because he, he was indeed without sin, right? And, and, and listen, if he had cast the first stone, it would have been the mob mentality. They would have followed his example. The woman would have lost her life that day. And more than likely, we wouldn't even be talking about the encounter, right? It, it would just have been sad and um, not, not very noteworthy. But man, Jesus has a way of taking things that otherwise would be typical daily life and turning them on their head, right? So she would have lost her life that day, but thank the Lord she did not lose her life and something amazing happened. Those, I, I love this phrase, I, I share it often, I minister this phrase often. Those who wanted to condemn her couldn't, and the only one who could condemn her wouldn't. Let me say that again. In that moment, think about it. Jesus has not broken the law. He's righteous. He's he's justified. He's he's innocent. The rest of the crowd is not. Those who wanted to condemn her couldn't. And the only one who could condemn her wouldn't. So Jesus does not come to condemn. He comes to justify. And what does justification mean? It's so much the antithesis of condemnation. Justification to show to be just or right, to declare innocent or guiltless. Can I remind you of that definition of condemnation? To express strong disapproval of, to demonstrate the guilt of, to judge or pronounce unfit for use. Jesus comes and justifies to show us that we are just and right, to declare our innocence, our guiltlessness. Romans chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, and the free gift... By the way, righteousness, the free gift, is not like the result of the one man's sin. Who's the one man? Adam. That's the man. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So one man condemned humanity. Jesus came and pronounced humanity innocent and guiltless. And, and it's interesting, the pronouncement comes through the work. So the, the pronouncement of Adam, and this is metaphorically, the pronouncement of Adam resonates through the law. You are shameful. You, you deserve to be blamed. You are guilty. The work of Jesus pronounces you are righteous. You are innocent. You are guiltless. So if, because of one man's trespass, continuing in Romans 5, death reigned through that one man much more. Will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Man, that's good news. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. And I don't want to really argue about this particularly, but uh, all means all. It's funny how when you have a conversation, I've had many conversations like this about all have sinned, Everyone very quickly and without hesitation agrees. But then when you say, well, through the work of Jesus, well, then uh, justification is for all men. Well, that, well, that doesn't mean all. That, that means for those that receive it and they recognize it and they cry out to him. Um, I didn't do anything to cry out to be a sinner. I didn't ask for that. 
Yet somehow I'm baptized into that. Why? Because we all are, but but we can't all be justified by an act, by the way, greater than the act of unrighteousness, the act that brought sin into the world. The act of Jesus is, is much greater. We need to start having more faith in the work of Jesus than we have in the work of Adam, or we could even say in our own ability to try to mess this thing up. Man, we give ourselves an awful lot of credit, don't we? <laughs> so what happens when God writes? When God writes, regardless of what he's writing, he's not writing to condemn us. He's writing to justify. He's writing to show us that we are guiltless, that we are blameless. And then he trades that that stone, right? The stone that he writes on, and he has done it historically, he changes it for what? He begins to write on the tablets of our hearts. And, and listen, he's not writing the Ten Commandments. I, now listen, there, I have no beef with the Ten Commandments, but he's writing the law of the better covenant. It's a law stamped in love. That is his signet. Love others as you have been loved by me, and in doing so, then you you are living in right standing in the law of the better covenant. That is the standard. Love. Love is the high standard. There's just no other back wall to it. So I just want to encourage you in that. Um, so God bless you guys. I, I pray that this podcast continues to be a blessing to you, a resource to you. I just want to mention a couple of websites that you can visit, and then we'll sign off for today. Go to HesterMinistries.org to find out more about, about what we're doing. I tell you what, this year is blowing up with uh, speaking engagements, with travel. Uh, I would love to see you in one of our meetings. We uh, Sitting here at, at the recording of this episode in January, we have meetings already booked into October. God is so faithful, and we are just humbled by the demand being made on what we carry and uh, who we carry, uh, because that it's all about Him. Find out more there. Go to presenttruthacademy.org. We are right now producing, proactively working on our brand new primary study track, the Sermon on the Mount, a 10-week study on the Constitution of the Kingdom. You can go to our website, and you can go ahead and purchase that now. It actually doesn't go live till February the 20th, but you can go ahead and purchase it and get ready to go with us on this 10-week journey. We also have a brand new elective by Dr. Kelly Varner, One Life with the King, the story of Esther. It's a verse-by-verse study of Esther, and I promise you, you have never gone through Esther the way you're going to go through it with Present Truth Academy. All right, well, listen, God bless you guys. Thanks so much for spending some time with me on your Tuesday or whenever you happen to listen to us through the week. Please do like and share this podcast. Leave a five-star review to help us get in front of more people. That really is a blessing to us. And before we finish up, I want to remind you of this. If the kingdom isn't for everyone, then it's not for anyone. God bless you.